right, we're in Ruth tonight again, Ruth chapter 2, as we're continuing her story. It's always a little bit of a struggle on, um, it is with the book of Acts too, I think we're in message number 46 with the book of Acts, you know, and you're, it's just so much you can cover, how deep do you go, I, I suppose we could probably spend years going through a single book. But uh, just try to try to catch the highlights without miss, missing anything, and, and then yet there's so many uh, lessons here, um, and that uh, this is a, so many things we can learn from Ruth. I heard a statement that Boaz was uh, ruthless until he got married. I just thought I'd throw that out there. So, all right. <laughs> Uh, that wasn't in the Bible, that was somebody else that said that. So, But uh, amen. Well, thank you for being here again. I, I know I keep saying that, but it is. I'm grateful for those that make the effort. I know Wednesday night is an easy night to miss because it's a lot of us have put in a, work, a long day's work and it's easy to, uh, like Pastor Forsberg in one of our many easy chairs, we should probably start a GoFundMe to get him a treadmill. I had a treadmill once. Made it was great for hanging coats. I could put I could hold put whole lines of hangers on it. It was nice. So, but uh, amen. Boaz has been talking to Ruth, and we see the romance starting to bud here. Uh, in verse five, then said Boaz unto his servant that was over the reapers, "Whose damsel is this?" This is where you see this love at first sight in the Bible. He, he's got eyes for her. It seems like he fell for her pretty hard. There were a lot of other people there gleaning, and no doubt, but Ruth is the one he had eyes for. There was a reason for this. Uh, we talked, I'm, and I'm giving you a little bit of review from last week, but you see Ruth's purity. Uh, it is the Moabitish damsel, they answered, that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. Ruth came out of a heathen country to live in a godly country, Israel. This separation evidence that Ruth uh, was uh, pure in both her faith and her morals. And then the loyalty of Ruth to Naomi coming back with her, who wanted to be identified with Naomi and her family, chose to leave her family even uh, to, in a heathen country to come here. Then the propriety of Ruth. Uh, verse 7, it says, She said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves didn't demand her rights. We've talked about that. Uh, he had good manners. Then the activity of Ruth in verse 7, she continued even from morning until now. Uh, she was an industrious woman. She was hardworking. And uh, we see that in her steadfastness as she kept working all day long. And so uh, we see a lot of good things about Ruth. And guess who else saw it? Boaz saw it too. And so he noticed these things, and that's, I believe, what uh, prompted his conversation. Now we're talking here about recompense in this chapter. Ruth is starting to see some of the reward. I picked that word recompense out of verse number 12. Uh, it says here, the Lord recompense thy work. And a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. We'll read our text in a little bit here, but uh, she's starting to see recompense. Uh, Ruth's decision to go to Bethlehem, leaving her uh, heathen country, coming to God's country here, uh, that brought about blessing in her life, as right choices always do. Now, they don't always come immediately. The blessings don't, the rewards. Uh, but that is how it is in the Christian life, in that reward often follows trial. Reward follows difficulty. And uh, recompense will come, though. It always does. Now, it seems sometimes like it's far off or impossible to see, but if nothing else, 
We have eternity in heaven to look forward to. That's quite a bit of recompense, isn't it? In fact, the Bible tells the New Testament that if that were all we got, we ought to be grateful. And so, uh, let's never forget that. So, continuing to review a little bit last week, Boaz told her to go not to another field. Stay where you are. And we talked at length about that. Stay in the calling that God put you. Changing fields will not help your situation. Uh, moving to another location is not always the answer. Uh, then then uh, talked about fellowship, abide here fast by my maidens, go thou after them, verses 8 and 9. If Ruth gleaned where Boaz told her to, she would have the fellowship that she needed with the female servants of Boaz, which, as we've already kind of seen demonstrated, it looks like he had a good group of servants, he treated them well, they responded well to him also. So God also tells us not only where to go, but with whom to fellowship. And I mentioned last week, the best place to be where you should be and to be with who you should be is in the local church, amen? And be a part of a, be active and be faithful to a local church. And then he talks not only about the fellowship, but the focus. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, verse 9. She needed to keep her eyes focused on this field, not so that she not looking at other fields tempting to go there. Uh, and, and we need that lesson today, too. People are so quick to walk away from where they are, uh, often running from an issue or a problem, and we ought to pick, be where God put us. And, and again, not need to be said, but, you know, I'm not saying it never never does anybody move. I know God moves people, but, but uh, a lot of times people circumvent God in their moving. And so let's just bloom where we're planted. Let's serve until God makes it clear Keep your eyes focused on the right thing. Don't focus on evil or you'll be tempted to leave that which is good. And that was a good lesson that he had there for her. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap. Now I want to start reading at verse number 10 tonight uh, of Ruth 2. Then she fell on her face, bowed herself to the ground, and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. How? How did he know? Facebook. That's how he knew. All right? Not really Facebook, but their, their version of Facebook. Gossip. Uh, the, the town, remember the whole city was moved when they showed up? What does that mean? They were doing this at the coffee shops. They were talking. Did you see Naomi come back? She brought somebody with her, and they had been talking. And so he had been fully sure. He had gotten the story. He had gotten the scoop from someone. Okay, Since the death of thine husband, verse 11, continuing, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy, thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. Now this is a tremendous thing to be said of somebody. These are some big decisions she made. And he's saying, I have noticed these things. I'm aware of these decisions you've made. The Lord, that's why he then says in verse 12, the Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. Uh, I don't want to jump ahead of myself. We'll get there in a minute, but Verse 14, And Boaz said unto her, <clears throat> At mealtime come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip the morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers and he reached her parched corn. You know what parched corn is? 
It's grits. Okay, so in, in, in today's vernacular, I think, we'll just call it grits, but gave her parched corn, and she did eat and was sufficed and left. When she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men and said, Let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not. Father, I pray you'd help us this evening. Let us grab a few things and principles out of here that will be a help and a challenge to us. And we're grateful for the opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. So he promised her, uh, verse 9 here, I, I, like, I just want to mention this here. When thou art a thirst, go thou into the vessels, drink of that which the young men have drawn. We just touched on that last week, but... He promised her water for gleaning. Now, water is vital, obviously, if you're working out in the fields all day, uh, hot. And so she, he assures Ruth that she'll have the, this necessity of water if she stays in his field. Boaz promised Ruth that if she gleaned in his field, her thirst would be satisfied. It illustrates for us as well that God's promises are an encouragement to obey his precepts. Uh, he gives us promises to back up the commands. You know, you do this, and all, he, that, that we see that all throughout the Bible in the area of giving. Uh, you, you give. In fact, there's only one verse in the Bible that specifically said God will open up the windows of heaven on you, and that's in response to our giving. So you give, I'll do this. You do this, I'll do that. And this is one of the promises that came with the precepts of Boaz. So normally, gleaners wouldn't have access to this water. Uh, that was for the reapers. They were in different classes, as Ruth mentioned. So Boaz raised Ruth's status. Now, remember, he, he's a type of Christ. We're going to look at this, for, especially throughout the rest of the book, but we'll see a few places tonight. But I like that concept, don't you? He raised her stat. Did Christ not raise our status when we got saved and became one of his? Amen. And so he raised her status. When thou art a thirst, that means she was able to get a drink anytime she wanted to. She was in lowly circumstances, but honor comes to the humble. Oh, if we could just remember that. And look at her humility through here. She's so humble. And, and we'll see that as we work through this. But Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Don't you agree with me that in this society and nation we live in today, we could use a good dose of humility? And there is just no humility anymore. It is in your face, evil, in your face. I want to do what I'm going to do, and there's no apology for anything. And so uh, we, we need that in our day and age. In providing this water for Ruth, Boaz again is a type of Christ, who is the water of life for the soul. Boaz promised Ruth water to quench her thirst physically. Christ promises he will satisfy our spiritual thirst. He told the crowd in John 7:37, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Uh, he told the woman in Samaria, you remember that story, John 4, 14, Whosoever drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. Jesus is that spiritual water for us. The problem with so many Christians today is we do exactly what Boaz told Ruth not to go. Don't go to another field. If you want to quench your thirst, stay in this field. And I think a lot of times Christians go to other fields looking to quench the thirst for their needs, for their problems, for their issues, uh, whatever the case might be. And it's, again, another example, another uh, directive here for us to stay where God has us. Spiritual thirst will never be satisfied apart from Christ. Now, how many of us have children, grandchildren, friends, co-workers, that, and, and you see it, you see it from a distance sometimes, 
They're trying to fulfill their thirst, and they're not going to the right places. And it's frustrating, and they're unhappy, and they take medication, and they are depressed, and they uh, go to psychiatrists, and they do all these things. They're trying to fulfill a thirst in the wrong place. And it's just not going to happen unless they go to Christ. In the end, now if we, if we reject the water of salvation that Jesus is talking about in John 4, in the end we'll be like the rich man who asked us, uh, Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. Luke 16, 24. Uh, then in verse 9 he also talks about safety. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? So he, wouldn't ha he would have no... Uh, immoral or inappropriate actions happening on his field. So he orders them to treat her with respect. Here is a workplace where a woman could work sa in safety. He's creating that environment for her. And so, again, a reminder is only in this field. If she wants safety, if she wants to work in, and, uh, in, a, in the environment she would desire, it needs to be done in this field. Safety and security is also promised to those who come to Christ that Boaz is a type of here. 2 Timothy 1.7, God hath not given us the spirit of fear. John 10.28, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. We are, isn't that a good place to be, by the way, in his hand? That's uh, a, a security we have, safety we have. Now, look at her response, though. And that's where we started reading tonight. She needed some reassurance here. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, What have I... Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take notice of me or knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger? Why are you doing this for me? It's humility. That's what that is. Uh, it, this show of benevolence. It overwhelmed Ruth. The reaction that she showed basically told him or, or evidences here she doesn't think she's worthy to receive these favors. So she wanted reassurances that the favors are really for her. She fell on her face, that's her prostration here, fell on her face, bowed herself to the ground. Her humble behavior shows that she realizes she's not worthy. It's like the after the great miracle of the fish. In fact, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but uh, you know, Jesus told Peter to throw his nets out, and Peter finally did, and the net break. Remember what Peter said when he came back, Luke 5, 8, he fell down at Jesus' knees and saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord recognizes his own unworthiness. We ought to bow before our Savior constantly, recognizing our unworthiness, being grateful for all that he's done for us. It shows gratitude for blessings. A lack of reverence shows pride and a lack of gratitude. And so that's what she was showing here. It's a good example for us. But she's confused. Look at her confusion. Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. Notice the grace here in her confusion. Why have I found grace in thine eyes? Ruth did see that the foundational cause of her favor from him was grace. And it's a good thing when we see that as well. She, didn't, she knew she was unworthy. She didn't think she deserved it. And so she knew it was great. That, again, is the attitude we ought to have before God as well. Uh, I, I, I talk to people all the time that they may not say it, but they demonstrate they think God owes them. And they get upset when things go wrong, when things don't work out the way they want to. 
We, had not, we better not ever have that attitude with the Lord. Understand the grace that he gives us. Uh, it was the attitude of Jacob, Genesis 32.10, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies which thou hast showed to me thy servant. And could we say that? I think we could. We should anyway. And then also she mentions her race, seeing that I'm a stranger. The reason, or she brings up the fact she's a Moabite. She's not even a, an Israelite. Being a Moabite made her a stranger in the land of Israel with no claim to the blessings of God. She's reminding him of this. Ruth knew the degradation of the Moabites. She had left them, chosen to leave them to go to God's people. It made her feel unworthy of any favors from Boaz. Can you see the picture? It's just a great picture here. We're unworthy too. I mean, that God gives his grace to us. He saves us regardless of our sin. Love that illustration. I'd never heard that before about the... Uh, that's a great idea, talking to teenagers. I love you, I love you. That's what they need to realize, the love of Christ. Regardless, there's nobody that God can't save. What a blessing that is. But it's a good thing for us to recognize our condition and His grace. When we get to the place we think we deserve it, we're in trouble. We're in trouble in a lot of different ways if we start getting to the place where we think we deserve it. This gives us an attitude of, I hate this. I shouldn't say hate, but I do hate entitlement. I hate the attitude of entitlement. When I come into contact or talk to young people who come across in, a, in, in the attitude of entitlement, it just bothers me to no end. Uh, it kills gratitude. There's no gratitude. Entitlement and gratitude don't coexist. A person that's full of entitlement is not having any gratitude because they expect it. I deserve it. I need this. And, I, and uh, it's just a bad attitude that we have. I read yesterday, I was talking to Wes about it last night. Uh, I read in a some statistic somewhere that something like 80% of our millennials today that make over $100,000 a year are living paycheck to paycheck. Making, and now I understand he mentioned there are some places, New York, you know, San Francisco, I'm sure it, the cost of living is high, but paycheck to paycheck at $100,000 a year, uh, that's, that's, I think, I don't know, how much did we make when we first got married, we millennials, I don't think it was that. Uh, $100 a year, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty low then, but uh, it's, it's uh, one of the reasons I think is because people think they're entitled. Young people today, you know, they don't want to drive a clunker. Now, how many clunkers did you drive before you got a nice car? I know I did a bunch of clunkers, and, uh, but young people today, they want the new car, and they want the new house, they want the nice house. You know, we lived in dumps until we worked our way up to where we could afford something nicer. We put our time in, and, and young people really aren't willing to put their time in today, and it all comes from this attitude of entitlement. Now, I could, we could, you know, we're all, you know, we're all uh, on board with that, and we could talk about the degradation of the millennials. Everybody likes to beat up on the millennials, amen? Right, Caleb? Yeah. Uh, so, but that's not what I'm here for. What I'm here for is to mention that we don't want to grab this attitude and apply it to our Christian life of entitlement. Renee Brown said, what separates privilege from entitlement is gratitude. That's, the, th that's what will give us. We need to be grateful. We need to be a grateful people. So Boaz then immediately reassures her, praised her for her fine performance in coming to Bethlehem. She had made some noble and good decisions. She had conducted herself in a great way here, and he took note of it. And by the way, so did all of Israel that was around in that area. 
So people will see and take note of your behavior. We see it here with her. She didn't think anybody noticed her. She, it, by her attitude here, it seems like she thought she was a nobody. Nobody knows anything about me. Well, here's a guy, somebody in society. I know all about you, Ruth. I've heard everything about you. I've heard all that you've done. And then he goes on to say what she did. Look, first her care of a Jew. Verse 11, it had been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. She may be a stranger in the land, but she had shown great care for a Jew, her mother-in-law. Ruth did not come with Naomi to Bethlehem on vacation. She came and immediately went to work. And now she's working just to put food in the refrigerator. I don't know where they got a refrigerator, but that's what she's doing, bringing food home just to feed them. And she's, not, she, she's taking care of her. This is noticed. People saw that. And then, by the way, our testimony is so important, how we live, what we do. Second, her coming to Judah. This also, he mentioned in verse 11, it hath been fully showed me, how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. She had left Moab to come to Judah. In doing so, she left her family. It says so, left thy father and thy mother, her relatives. Leaving family isn't an easy thing to do for anybody. But you will not do much for God if family ties come before God. I'm not saying you need to forsake your family, but God comes first. And sometimes that requires us to tell family, uh, you, you know, that, that, that sometimes <coughs> can put a strain on families to serve God. Abraham had to leave his relatives. He had to leave his land of Ur. Uh, there had to be a separation before he could follow God the way he needed to. Uh, so did Ruth. This principle is also identified by Jesus, Matthew 10:37. He that loveth his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, honestly, we should, uh, if, if we could search the hearts of everybody that goes to this church and honestly look at people who love God more than their kids, how many people would that be? I mean, really, if we're right honest, now we might say, put on a good say, uh, a show, but if we love God more, we're going to serve him. And I don't, look, I don't mean to be mean or nasty or anything, but I mean, I, to me, in my family, the way I see that is that if there's a, a, a soccer game on Wednesday night or on Sunday night, uh, who are you going to love? You know, you know what I'm saying? we got to make these choices. We might say it, but do we live it? So um, and, and this, this is an important thing for us to grasp onto. Now, in the Bible, terms of emotion are often terms of comparison. Esau have I hated, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, that verse. doesn't mean God hated Esau, but it's a term of comparison. And so this is why another part in the Bible, New Testament, Jesus said, he that hateth not his father and mother. Well, it's a term of comparison when it looks at that way. So it's a good question. Do you love God more than your spouse? Do you love God more than your children? Do you love God more than your parents? Uh, that's what Jesus instructs us to do. That doesn't mean love them less, by the way. It means love him more, all right, just in case anybody's confused. I'm not asking anybody, you're loving your child too much. That's no, not that. Love God more. By the way, don't be offended if your spouse loves your God more than you because he'll treat you a whole lot better or she'll treat you a whole lot better if they love God more. Amen? And so we want that. Then her confidence in Jehovah, he noticed. The Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. So he recognizes this in her. Ruth had forsaken the heathen gods of Moab to worship the God of Israel. 
She not only left Moab geographically, she left Moab theologically. And he's recognizing that. This, by the way, was her greatest decision. It wasn't to stay with the mother-in-law, come to Israel. The, the greatest part of her decision was to follow the Lord God. My God, or your God, shall be my God. That was her greatest decision. So it, it, her action was one of faith. So it was works, or I'm sorry, it was not works, but it was faith that was the foundation of her blessings, just as it is with us in our salvation and serving God. And I, I'll just close tonight and again reminding that the words, I love the words in verse 11, it hath fully been showed me. Now, whether we like it or not, our life is shown to others. Right? People watch us, uh, especially if we, you know, I'm not a huge Facebooker. I'm grateful my wife's not a huge Facebooker as far as putting a lot of posts out. You can get in trouble when you do that kind of thing. So, but uh, a lot of people do that. And guess what? People are watching. People see those things. They mean something. You might just be putting it on as an afterthought and somebody might read something much greater into it. I'm just saying people are watching. We need to be careful and we need to be aware that folks uh, are being fully showed us sometimes. I tell teenagers when I'm uh, preached a teenager once in a while and used to tell them as a youth pastor too that everybody in church has an opinion of you. I told a teenager that. You want to see his eyes get big. They don't think they exist. They come and sit in the back row or they come and sit and, you know, they don't talk to adults much. But it's true, does isn't it? Now, you might not know him, but Anthony, for example. Every one of you has an opinion of Anthony. All right? Every one of us. You may have never talked to him. You might not have much. You don't know much, but you see, you know, he dresses nice. He's always here. Uh, you know, he's not a rabble-rouser. Whatever your opinion might be, but you have an opinion about him. And everybody, we could say that about each one of you, too. Everybody has an opinion of you. Everybody has a has a, uh, going beyond an opinion, everybody has some kind of, uh, I'm looking for the right word, but I guess we'll leave it at opinion. Everybody has a, an idea of what kind of person you are. They make that judgment call in their hearts. And so I'm just saying, let's be aware of that. Ruth, she's just out picking up stray dropped grain. And here's somebody, somebody, and I'm not just saying a person, somebody, Boaz was somebody, comes up to her and recounts to her everything she's done. It's been fully shown to me. It's a good reminder for us. People watch us. People know us. People see us. Let's give them the right thing.